following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. All right, as we dive in today to the Word, let's go into prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you praise for everything that you've done for us. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to hear your word once again. Lord, may this story of what happened at Pentecost be a gift to us as we move forward in our lives. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen. So this weekend in Georgetown, something happened that hasn't happened for quite a while, and that's the Poppy Fest. So as COVID rolled in, the Poppy Fest kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. If you don't know what the Poppy Festival is, um, every spring there's this history of poppies since the First World War that have grown in um, Old Town, Georgetown, and so they started a festival around it, kind of that spring festival. They close off the square, they set up a big stage, there are bands, there are vendors, there's all kinds of stuff. And so for Chelsea, who works on the square at one of those stores, it was a busy weekend. Real slow, no one around, right, Chelsea? Yeah. yeah. So nonstop, in and out. And, I, you know, so I didn't see much of Chelsea this weekend as she was working. And I drove a little bit. We had some friends in town on Friday, and we said, oh, well, let's, you want to go see where Chelsea works? She was at work. We had had lunch. So we're going over there, and it was 1230. Festival didn't start until 4, and the traffic was already bad. I called Chelsea when we were on our way. I said, we could be there in five minutes. We could be there in half an hour. I have no idea. And I think it was 10 minutes from Hat Creek Burger to the square just because of all the little ways we had to take around the back. But festivals are a big thing for humanity. We like festivals. I don't get it. I'm not a big festival fan. I'm a very extroverted person. I like being around people. I hate crowds. Like some people I know love, like let's go to Disney World every year. And I'm like, no thank you. Like even national parks are starting to get to a point where they're getting overcrowded. And I'm like, well, but why? It's not that it's like horribly the worst. It's just not my idea of fun. Like I'm already prepping my brain for National Youth Gathering. Like, I'm pumped for the youth gathering. I'm so excited that our kids get to go. And also, I'm like, there are going to be so many people there. It's just not my idea of fun. Like, even live bands and concerts, I know people are like, wouldn't you love to go to a concert? And I'm like, do you know that YouTube exists? I remember at one point, I had a prophet seminary, and, and we're learning Greek, and Greek's just the worst, especially Koine Greek, which is a Greek that no one speaks anymore. To me, as, as I reference to people, Greek and Hebrew are so different. Hebrew, once you learn to read it backwards, it's just a puzzle. You just pull it apart, and it all makes sense. Learning Greek is like someone handing you a blank set of sheet music and going, hey, can you write the lyrics to this song? Because a word may mean one thing, 
When you translate it, great, I can do that. But if it's got a certain declension or if it's a preposition, it could be something completely different, which just tells you a lot of the difference between the Hebrews and the Greeks when they were forming their languages. But my prof talked about learning the Greek because obviously there were a lot of people going, you know we have computers that do this now. We don't need to learn the Greek, but you have to at seminary. And he was so excited because there are these people whose brains are wired up for Greek. And I love it. And they're a blessing to me and to the church as a whole. I just am not that person. But this professor is trying to encourage us and get us excited. And he goes, would you rather watch the Super Bowl on TV or be there? And I thought, on TV, a hundred percent on my couch. What do you mean would I want to be at the Super Do you know how many people are at a Super Bowl? Do you know how long you have to wait in line to get into that place? There is one team in all of sports that can hold my attention to be at a playoff or a championship game, and that's the Astros. Everybody else, I'll watch you on TV. And that's what's happening in our story today, is it is a high festival day in Jerusalem. There are going to be crowds. Things are going to be packed. And what's happened is that Jesus has spent his time. He's died, he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven. Three things normal people usually don't do, right? When was the last time you got an invitation to someone's ascension, right? Oh, you know, it's okay. It's about that time. Glad to see Stanley. You know, he's going up again. No, this is a whole new thing. And so Jesus dies. He's resurrected. The people who follow him are blown away. And then he goes, peace. It's been great. 40 days. That's what you get. Could you imagine what they're processing? They have watched the one they followed for so long. He died, right? Like, you're feeling that. He rises again. And not only, like, is it like excitement, but what is the phrase used over and over again when Jesus has risen? Do not be afraid. Right? So not only are you as a human being processing the death of your friend, then the resurrection, but, like, before you get to the joy of he's alive, like you're going through this fear phase. And so you're processing all these emotions and probably about day 40, you've locked into like, okay, this is what it's like. This feels great. And Jesus then goes, hey, come up to this mountain with me. Sure. And then he's just like, see ya. Right, and now you're processing something new because I don't know about you, but the last time someone just floated off the earth, Like, goodbye. Like, how long do you watch? Jesus is ascending. Like, okay, do you just... Like, you know that awkward someone's leaving wave and you don't know how long to stand and wave back? Like, I know you can't see me, but like, society dictates I keep waving at you. Like, how long is Jesus ascending? You know Peter's leaning over to, you know, to to the other disciples going, is this the appropriate amount of time? Right? Like, because they're... Right, and Jesus ascends and is gone. So now you have processed his death, his resurrection, his ascension, 
and you're going, okay, the ascension's good, obviously, but what do we do now? Because you know what would have been nice, Jesus? If you had taken us with you. But instead, the disciples are still here. And as Jesus is about to ascend, he looks at them and he gives them a commandment. He says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and teaching them as I have commanded you. And he gives them a promise, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And he gives that promise. And like, this is the Ted's theatrical version of the Bible. So this like, may be true, may not, but like, it's how I see it. It's like, he's starting to ascend, right? Surely I will be with you always. And like, starts the float, right? To the very end of the age. And you know, John's down there going, listen, I know I'm the disciple you love, but sure looks like you're leaving. You'll be with us? So they're now in this weird space where Jesus' last promise to them is, I will be with you always. And then he's like, see ya. And so they're processing all of this. And a couple days after it happens is this feast and festival of Pentecost. And that's penta with an E, not an A. And I learned that because I spelled it wrong every time. Penta, five, cost how much it is. No. So Pentecost is the weeks, the 50 days leading up to this festival. It is right about 50 days after Passover. And so this festival, Pentecost, is the festival of the harvested grain. Because what's happened is you've planted, you celebrate Passover, but then the grain is harvested. This is the harvest festival, right? Like this is the fall fest that we had. You've brought the harvest home, right? You're getting close to that point where everything's going to come in and everything's great and tasty. You know, everything's fresh off the tree, off the vine, off the plant. And so the people are celebrating. Now there, we're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. So what has happened is that the people have come to Jerusalem. That this festival brings everyone together. So we go back from verse 5 a little bit and we go to verse 1. This is, this is Acts 2, if you're in your Bible. Acts 2, 1-20. through 20. When the day of Pentecost arrived, so this is not the night before, right? This is the day of. They're starting Pentecost. They, so this is the followers of Jesus, this is definitely the 12, possibly that core group of disciples. Remember in Luke 2, Jesus, or Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72. So there's these, the, there's the disciples, the, the apostles, the inner 12, then there are some disciples who hang out around Jesus. Then there are the crowds and the multitudes. So this is within those disciples who were close. There's somewhere between you know, 70 and 150 folks who remained close to Jesus, even a little bit further outside the 12. So this is probably what we're looking at here. So they, these followers, were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're sitting, hanging out. And then a mighty wind blows through and fire behind it. And this is how God works. He shows up in wind and fire so often. Think about how many times we see God show up and it's either a mighty wind or a still small voice or a burning bush. These mighty elements. And then the tongues of fire is this cool imagery of what is about to happen. That these these seeming fire tongues appear above them which connects to what they're about to do to use their tongue. Now what I want you to hold on to, we're going to get into the weirdness of this in a minute. Let's get through the story. So we'll come back to this tongues and their utterances. But this is then, now there were dwelling people in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So they have come in for the festival. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So the believers have walked out and are now speaking to the crowds. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in his own language? And then there's this list of all the places people have come from. Now, I want you to pull out real quick. Aren't these Galileans? So that's a twofold thing. One, it's saying, wouldn't they be speaking their own tongue? But two, this is a little bit of a jab. Right? Because you're looking at Galileans. This would be like, oh, those rednecks, how are they talking to us in our own language? Right? This is a little bit of prejudice against the Galileans. And so much so, they start asking each other and you get two groups of people. And this was really helpful. So I'm going through this great um, commentary of the book of Acts as I'm prepping these sermons that Paul let me borrow. And it's great because Paul's notes are in there. So if you hear something really smart in these sermons, Paul probably wrote it as a note <laughs> in the side, and here's one of them. So he has, or you get these two, two groups of people in verse 12, and they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. And Paul's little notes goes, there's always these two types of people. Right? The Lord does a mighty work, and what happens? There's one group of people going, what does this mean? How do, how do we figure out what the Lord wants? And then there's one group of people going, oh, they're drunk. Right? You get these two groups of people who are looking and saying, one saying, look at the amazing things the Lord has done. What does this mean? And another group of people going, they're wasted, and it's nine o'clock in the morning. That's what this crack about new wine is about. Because not only are they saying they're drunk, they're going, you're drunk on two-buck chuck. Right? You're, you're drunk on the new wine, not even the good stuff. So Peter stands up. He says this, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose. Citizens only the third hour of the day. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, and the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this is all happening, and Peter comes to them and quotes the prophet Joel. So this is Joel 2, verses 28-32. through 32. He tells them, listen, you've been waiting for the Messiah. You think, you think all of this is so strange, but it's been told to you. If you know your Scriptures, you should have been expecting this. You should have known that this was coming. And what it will go on to say is that thousands joined their number that day. That many were baptized and began to follow Jesus. That this day of Pentecost when the Spirit arrives, the Spirit doesn't arrive and then wait. The Spirit shows up and goes, let's do work. That command that Jesus had given all of a sudden becomes clear where He says, go and make disciples and I will be with you. So He says, go and make disciples and I will be with you. He had promised this gift of the Helper over and over and over during His ministry. And now here it was. The Holy Spirit shows up. That even as Jesus has ascended, the people of God now realize what has happened. And this even goes back to the crucifixion. You see, in the old temple, there were different layers to the temple as far as you could go. And the furthest back was the Holy of Holies, which is said where God dwelt. So why did the people come from all over to Jerusalem? Because to find God, you came to Mount Zion because that is where God dwelt. But when He dies... It says the curtain is torn in two. This isn't some bedsheet. This is like the curtains you have here. Probably even heavier. That curtain is torn. And the significance is that the Spirit has left. That the Spirit of God now dwells in His people. That in the sacrifice of Jesus, He has come. He has renewed His people to the point where now God can dwell in and amongst them. And so He does that. And when the Spirit comes, it makes this huge difference. This is the beginning of the early church. Jesus had commissioned it, and this is where it began. Because from here, they would start to experience persecution, so they would spread out. So when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, what he's talking about is saying, you're going to go from here and you're going to spread. That the church begins here and then begins to spread out. So what does Pentecost then mean for us? Well, The first thing is that God is still the giver of every good and perfect gift. 
I love that it happens at Pentecost, the festival of the harvest. How often has God referred to the growing of the kingdom as the harvest that is to come? And he shows up at the holiday of the harvest and begins the harvest fields. This is the good God who gave his son and now continues to give his spirit. This is a spot where the world has come together. Matt did a great job going through all those names. Right? This is the known world coming together. These are people who were prepared to hear the message of Jesus and they are brought together in one place from all these different places. You want to know what that feels like? Round Rock. Georgetown. Austin. The world is moving here. Now, a lot of them are from California. But the world is moving here. It also reveals that the first thing God does in His new church is invite more people to join it. Is to expand the kingdom. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not a gift to be hoarded, but a gift to be given freely. You'll hear this idea of speaking in tongues. And people will say, oh, you're not a true believer until you've spoken in tongues. Well, that's not true. But notice what happens in these tongues. This is not some random tongues, something that is just something you know. This is people who have never spoken Phoenician declaring the Word of the Lord in Phoenician and Egyptian and Greek. You see, these tongues are not the charismatic tongues that we think of when we think of televangelists. These are tongues of people of Galileans declaring the word of the Lord in the languages of the people present. What a gift that would be to be able to stand in front of people and declare the word of the Lord in whatever language they knew. You see, this miracle and all the miracles of God are always based on blessings for the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is given as a gift for the people of God to be used for the kingdom of God. And that same Spirit that shows up on Pentecost is the same Spirit that now dwells in you. At your baptism, the Holy Spirit entered in. And He dwells in you. And the Holy Spirit is there to be your helper. He is there to pull you away from temptation and from sin. But He is also there to pull you towards the mission of God. Too often the Holy Spirit is made out to be this judge who sits and says, oh, you're a terrible person, obey God better. But instead the Holy Spirit is the helper who says, you want to follow Jesus better? Learn to listen to Me. You want to take the kingdom of God where it needs to go? 
Good, I am with you always. Let's go. And notice what happens here. There will be a time in the church where missionaries are sent out, where the journeys begin, where they spread the news. But do you know what they did on this day? They walked out their front door. The Holy Spirit has you where He needs you. It's about walking out your front door and saying, Lord, use me today. That the good news of Jesus, of what He's done, that redemption and salvation, that death and resurrection lives every day in us. Like the song we sang as we opened today, the resurrected King is resurrecting me. He is making me new over and over and over again. And the good news is that the Spirit is there saying, and that is not just something for you to hoard. Because you know what? Your brothers and sisters in Christ, they need the encouragement of your life lived following Jesus. Your neighbors need the love of God, which is found in a life following Jesus. People who are far from the Lord need the love found in you in a life following Jesus. Sometimes we make our mission zeal so focused on saying, have you gone out and told someone who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus? Well, here's what I want to do. I want you to take that narrow and open it up. Because the mission of God is not just about lost people. It's not just about found people. It's not just about narrative church. It's not just about those things. It's about saying, wherever the Lord has put me, wherever He has called me, there the Spirit is with me. And so I go out to bless others. Now the challenge in that is to say, use those gifts to bless the body of Christ. Use those gifts to bless those who do not yet know Jesus. That's not an option. That is the call. But you are not alone. And we could do an entire five years of sermons, of Bible studies, of saying, how do you follow the Holy Spirit in your daily life? And it still would not be enough. But instead, if you look and say, in the 80 to 100 years I have on this earth, each day I want to learn more what it means to follow the Spirit, that's a good place to start. And you know what? I hope at some point one of you runs up to me and goes, listen, there was this guy and he was, he was speaking Russian and all of a sudden I was speaking to him. I had no idea how. <sighs> Let's do it. But you know what it might be? My neighbor at the cubicle over lost their mom. And I didn't know what to say. But all of a sudden, they were crying in my arms because apparently I had said the right thing. Because the Spirit will guide you and He will lead you. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts to hear Your Spirit. Let us slow down and rejoice 
and the good news that you dwell in us. And that changes who we are. We rejoice in Pentecost, the day where you sent your Spirit to indwell with your people. Lord, may that Spirit continue to change us, to help us grow, to let us give away the blessings of the kingdom. In your Son, Jesus' name. Thank you.